Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush, and on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by a special guest, Jess Garland, Director of Policy and Research at the Electoral Reform Society. And we're going to be talking all things voter reform. Yes, this is your treat in your Christmas break, but we know a lot of you are very interested in it, and it is something that could potentially be around the corner if Labour get into power next. So does this feel like a time where things might be about to change, Jess? Yeah, there's certainly a huge amount of momentum building. Labour's conference just in September, just gone, the grassroots voted massively in favour of a motion in support of PR. They want Labour to put it in the next manifesto. And that was supported also by the affiliated unions. Two of the big unions just recently changed their policy in favour of PR. And so there's a real groundswell happening behind PR. And You know, for Labour, supporting PR isn't a new thing. You know, it's something Labour's history from Keir Hardy to Robin Cook. But this is something that's happening right in the grassroots. And and that is, in a way, reflecting a change in society as well. Just recently, the British Social Attitudes Survey has shown us that the majority of the British public want to change as well. And that's significant because, in general, we quite like to stick with the status quo. So there's definitely something happening out there. Yes, and that result in that British Social Attitudes Survey about that enthusiasm for electoral reform. That's the first time that there's been a majority for it. That's absolutely the case. And they do ask the question in a way that really taps into whether people want to change, because that's the big question. Mm. Of course, you can like it in principle, but do you really want to change? And and the the Social Attitudes Survey is showing that for the first time. I think what we're seeing here is lots of people saying politics is broken. We can see that it isn't working and we want something different to replace it. And why don't you make the case for our listeners who perhaps might be a bit sceptical about whether or not this should be a sort of priority for the Labour Party at the moment? What, what would it change? Why would it be needed? Well, I think for Labour particularly, this is about can you deliver the sort of policy that you want to deliver? So is this system we've got, which is inherently elitist and divisive and can't really deal with these big challenges we're facing on the environment, on infrastructure, all of these things, can you deliver that without changing that system, which inherently works against all those things? So it's really, I think, from Labour's perspective, about delivering on the sort of society that they want to create. Obviously, for the voter, it's it's about giving them the chance to, to vote for who they want to and, and have a different experience at the ballot box. Mm. And so do you think Labour wouldn't be able to deliver what they want to do to change the country if they won a majority under first past the post, for example, which is something that a lot of them, you know, high up in the party are sort of holding out for? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the system we've got gives 
the executive an enormous amount of power. Mm. But what we have seen is often that's very short-lived. You know, you get the seesaw with policy. And some of the things which you really need to do to embed change for the longer term do involve negotiation, bringing other people on side. And what we've seen so much is that Labour's previous legacy has been ripped up. So, you know, if I was Labour and I was thinking, what do I want to achieve beyond five years? I'd be looking at changing the system we've got because those are going to be real lasting legacy changes. Mm. And what's interesting is Labour are probably, you know, its grassroots are very much in favour, but the Labour Party in terms of Keir Starmer's office and the shadow cabinet are not really talking about this. And I think there is a bit of a fear of looking like they're trying to sort of stitch things up in their favour ahead of the next election, which is why they're very reluctant to say that they're in any conversations with the Lib Dems about a pact, for example. Um, And you've seen that in the various by-elections that we've had where it's very clear that there's been less of a Labour presence or less of a Lib Dem presence so that they can give each other more of a clear run to defeat the Conservatives, even in those instances. They've been really careful to say this was not an official, you know, decision on either party's part to do this. And there have been, interestingly, some pieces in the right-wing press already attacking PR, which is quite interesting because it looks might look quite random to the reader, but it's definitely sort of the Tory right-wing press bubble getting their ducks in a row ahead of any potential negotiation between Ed Davey and Keir Starmer come the next election. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to see where those attacks are coming from because, you know, there's nothing inherently in changing the system that would work against any particular party, but what it does threaten is vested interests. Mm. You know, if, if you've got a elected dictatorship and you want to, you know, influence politics and you've got one very straight route to do so, you know, and ultimately these are questions of power and they will upset people because it is about giving more power to voters. And that clearly is a threat if you want to have a, a slipstream, a fast lane to the <laughs> Prime Minister's ear to make those changes. But for Labour, yeah, I think, you know, there's a long way to the election, but ultimately they have to win under first past the post if they want to change it in the first place. So, you know, no one's saying that this is a stitch up re-election. I think it really is about sort of making those big, bold constitutional choices like Labour did in 97, having a vision of of what the country could look like and creating a democratic system that could actually deliver it. Mm. And you said earlier in your answer that this type of change wouldn't benefit any particular political party, but there are some who believe that it would benefit the progressive left for which there is a sort of majority votes wise in the country at the moment. But you don't think that would be the case? It would be the case in the sense that if you've got a majority of votes, you're going to get a majority of seats. So yeah, the principle is obviously, you know, that Parliament's going to look a lot more like how people voted. Mm -hmm. And so you won't get those biases where you get a kind of bonus amount of seats and these these sort of huge majorities that aren't actually won on the basis of the number of votes you're getting. So Mm. yeah, if there's a progressive majority, you get progressive majority in Parliament. So, But you can't guarantee a progressive majority in the country. It reflects how people vote. And and, and that is the case in the last series of elections. So people aren't wrong to say that. It's Mm -hmm. just that it doesn't guarantee it forevermore. It reflects how people's votes. And so parties shouldn't be scared of that. And at the Electoral Reform Society, you know, your job is trying to get this to come about and to persuade those who can make it come about happen. And so do you think the most likely route would be a sort of narrow Labour win where they have to make some kind of deal with the Liberal Democrats in order to be able to govern? Yeah, I mean, well, we've heard Ed Davey recently saying publicly, you know, electoral reform is his priority and, mm. and he would make that a red line in any sort of negotiation. So that's a very strong message. 
that Davey remember was in the previous coalition so so he kind of knows what that's about and I'm sure he's pretty clear-eyed about it and he said he doesn't want the red boxes in the ministerial cars yes it's about that sort of lasting change so we probably might guarantee what his position is Labour of course could bring it in their their members have asked for it the affiliates want it they could bring it in as a majority government as well and and so there's options there but clearly at the moment some people are coming out more strongly than others so we'll see what comes out in the wash but it's I, th- I would say we're almost going to go to the full year and a half two years before a general election so yeah. anything could change in the polls in that time so we don't know mm. and how about in the conservative party are there any advocates for voter reform there i mean maybe in the devolved nations certainly i mean the conservatives are probably more supportive in the devolved nations because obviously their party being kept alive in many cases by having pr yep. and there are some supporters at westminster as well but the party at the top level, I would say, in recent years has quite sort of hardened their position towards first past the post. It was in the last two manifestos and they've recently just changed the voting system for mayors and PPCs yes. into first past the post. So I would say as an indication, they're hardening around the first past the post position, which probably is a mistake if you look longer term, because, you know, in, in the fullness of time, as I say, it doesn't benefit one party over the other. And it has been beneficial to the Conservatives in places like Scotland. Mm, I actually asked Andy Burnham and Sadiq Khan about how they felt about that change because they will have to be elected under first-past-the-post rather than the mayoral systems. And, you know, Andy Burnham has been a very vocal advocate of changing to PR, whereas Sadiq Khan has been a bit more careful about, you know, saying what he feels about it. And I wonder where you think that reluctance to sort of have a full-throated support for that reform comes from in terms of Labour politicians, high-profile Labour politicians. I do think it's difficult for any politician in the mm-hmm. sense that you know, politicians are used to making policy that affects other people. And this is the one policy that is right on their doorstep. It's how they get their jobs. It's how they keep their jobs. It's it's a very personal thing and they have very personal experience of it. And I think that does slightly change the dynamic. And any politician's going to want to say, I'm confident that I can get the votes under, under any system. But we have seen some mayors really advocating for the previous system for SV on mm. the basis that it guarantees you more support So it's not a proportional thing, but it does guarantee you more support from more of your constituents. And when you're talking about a mayoral position where it's one person and they've got a huge responsibility, you want to make sure that it's not the least like person, that it's the person (laughs) with the most possible votes that they can get, which I'm sure would be Sadiq or Andy in those circumstances. But it's about that sort of legitimacy you get from from a wider constituency, um, which is why the change to first past post doesn't really make any sense technically. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And so what does PR actually mean? Because that can mean any number of things. What do you think would be the most likely system that they would go for, say, if Labour and the Lib Dems made some kind of deal? Yeah, and there's loads of options, right? Mm. So there are lots of PR is a range of systems. I think the most likely one would be one of the ones we're using already in in the UK. So you've got the sort of top-up systems which have been used in Wales and Scotland. You've got STV which is used in Scottish locals and in Ireland as well. So there's quite a few systems which are quite familiar those both have a constituency link and that's something people talk about a lot and people are very keen on, politicians are very keen on and, and both those systems would maintain that so people would know who their representative is and have that sort of connection with them in, in those systems. So those I think are obvious choices. You could maintain the same number of MPs, maintain boundaries, either local government ones or existing ones. So, you know, not too much to change and I think those would fit in quite nicely in our current setup so Mm. different options because that's the thing that MPs will always bring up which is the constituency link which they find so important even if they do complain about the fact that they have sort of 10 jobs one of which is sort of like a local councillor yeah and I can't yeah exactly and and I think there's a whole load of question there about how you might simultaneously give more powers to local councils and Mm. and promote those roles as well but I think you know the sort of systems which just big lists or whatever are, are unlikely I think in the UK so we can find one which is quite familiar to people and and, and fits with our political culture as well. I think that's quite important. Okay. And are there any examples from around the world where they've changed from a first-past-the-post system to something like what you've just been describing? And how has it worked in terms of whether or not it favours one party or the other? The most relevant and interesting is probably New Zealand. Mm -hmm. They changed in the 90s, in the mid-90s, from first-past-the-post. Obviously, you know, a lot of uh, former countries have this system that we've exported around the world. And now everyone's saying... (laughs) One of our greatest exports. (laughs) And now we go, this is a terrible system. Please change it. So New Zealand changed their mid-90s. They changed to a system like one of the ones just mentioned in in Scotland and Wales. Mm. And they've had a whole range of governments. They've had some coalition governments. But what's quite interesting about that cases they were a sort of similar sort of Mm two-party state like us nationals and the Labour Party and it's pretty much maintained that shape so there's been coalitions with smaller parties but those two big parties haven't broken up so it's still got I would say a pretty much two-party feel to it but it hasn't always been coalition either Labour won a landslide majority at the last election there so so I think that's probably a good case of where we might be heading with this retaining that sort of structure that we're quite used to but with a more proportional system Mm. that's so interesting because sometimes people say if we had a different voting system the Labour and Conservative parties wouldn't exist how they exist today because they're coalitions in themselves but because of first past the post they have to be one party yeah and that's definitely not the case Mm. and 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 i think you look at countries which are traditionally multi-party and they stay that way and and countries which are more in a two-party shape also can maintain that as well so the changing system doesn't sort of make parties split up bits might break off (laughs) there might be more seats available for smaller parties but it doesn't necessarily change that sort of like shape of your party structure Mm. 
And lastly, I mean, how do you think they would bring this about? Would there be a referendum? Because obviously we had the AV referendum in recent memory, which didn't go the way that <laughs> the Electoral Reform Society would have wanted it to. W- would it go to the country? Or are we too spooked by referendums now to make those kind of decisions that way? Yeah, I mean, we could be in uh, sort of uncharted constitutional waters, you know, without a written constitution. There's no hard and fast rule about what you do here. So we're kind of working on precedence, legitimacy, what mm-hmm. what we think should happen. And we've had big constitutional change without a referendum and with <laughs> referendums. So there's a lot of different ways you could you could do this. And I suppose looking at precedents, you know, the AV referendum, neither party had AV in their manifestos. Yeah. So you could say maybe they had to go and get that. They didn't have the electoral mandate mm. for it. Whereas, you know, that change we just mentioned with the mayors, there was a sort of reference to it in the Conservative Party manifesto. So you could argue maybe that had legitimacy to do it without a referendum. There's different ways of doing referendums, pre-legislative, <laughs> post-legislative. There's so many different sort of options and there's just no rules one way or other. So if two parties or one party have it in their manifesto, like in Wales, they, they've changed the system there recently. So you've got your electoral mandate with that. And then there's there's different options, as I say, about how you might run a referendum. 1975 one, the first referendum we had was kind of, I'm not sure if there's a technical term for this, it was a kind of an after-the-fact referendum. <laughs> so we joined the common markets and then said, you guys okay with this? <laughs> so there's so many different ways we've done this. But I guess our experience of referendums recently has been not the best. So, you know, it's kind of being quite aware of how referendums are used and their strengths and weaknesses. You know, they're often not on the subject matter at hand and that's something to be wary of they're obviously often used for political reasons as well so I think we'd need to like think very carefully about the route into that and and how you ensure that that happens with good information and and voter awareness and all the things would be democratically advisable. Mm, Okay and so the great prize really for you would be to get that in the Labour manifesto ideally? It certainly would be a good Christmas present wouldn't it so (laughs) I'm not ruling it out. (laughs) Right well thank you so much Jess for taking us through all that it was really useful and I'm sure our listeners will be interested to see what Labour decide. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my guest, Jess Garland. We're produced by May Robson, and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.